the big core part of the success I have today and how I viewed real estate completely different from other agents getting into it. Um, the marketing number one, I viewed it as an employee basically. So it was like a non-negotiable expense. And basically if I'm paying 10 grand a month to have all these different advertisements, I can look at it as like just having an employee out there doing all this work for me, bringing in people. This is the Platform Marketing Show, where we interview the most creative and ambitious real estate agents in the country, dissect their local marketing strategy, and get the behind the scenes scoop on how they're generating listing leads and warm referrals. We'll dive into the specifics of what marketing campaigns are working for them, how much they're spending on those campaigns, and figure out how they have perfected what we call the platform marketing strategy. This is your host, Tim Shermack. I'm the founder and CEO of Platform. I love marketing and I talk too much. So let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Platform Marketing Show. I'm here this morning with Jess LaCour and it is the morning. I think Jess is recording this at 7 a.m. her time. She's in Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, but that's not actually early for Jess because Jess, what time every morning do you typically wake up and lift weights? <laughs> At 4 a.m. 4 a.m. every day, no exceptions. So uh, exactly. we will get, we we will get into uh, how how impressive of a real estate agent that she is because somehow she's actually more impressive of a real estate entrepreneur than she is uh, an exerciser, but <laughs> she, she, and I'm pretty sure I just made that word up exerciser, but she gets up at 4am every morning and lifts heavy weights and you've been a bodybuilder and you've competed in like figure competitions, right? Yeah. Yep. National figure competitions. Um, I'm married to a very famous power lifter, um, Blaine Sumner. So it kind of, when we met um, six years ago, both our worlds of being in the fitness industry um, just kind of imploded on each other. And we just, that's the lifestyle we live outside of our work. So what is like a typical workout look like for you when you're waking up at 4 a.m. every day? So to be clear, it's not like, oh, two days a week, I wake up at 4 a.m. and lift and the other days I sleep until seven or something. It's every day, 4 a.m. I mean, I'm imagining you're not, you know, working out, doing curls with pink dumbbells that are one pound <laughs> dumbbells, right? Like what does the typical workouts look like for you? Just so people can kind of like visualize when you say that you wake up at 4am to lift, what does that yeah. mean? So, um, I train like a power lifter too, and bodybuilding is just how you eat and all the posing and everything at the end. Um, but during the off seasons, which I'm doing right now, um, you just lift very, very heavy. So we have like the deadlift bench and squat. And those, we just try to, we have a program, of course, Blaine writes my programs. Um, and we just try to always lift very heavy. So you, when you first wake up and you go in and try to lift 200 pounds, whatever you're doing, it's, um, it's a, it's a good mental space. And that's kind of why I do it so early in the morning. Um, so it's uninterrupted. I can just focus on it and it really sets the tone for my day. Awesome. So that's 4 a.m. every day. It's it's actually it's actually funny because I I uh, I've had this thought several times because I I normally wake up around like 6:45 7. That's my normal <laughs> that's my normal wake up time, and often 
you know, often once I like take our dogs out and I have my morning cup of coffee and let's say it's like 730 at that point, I'll often look at my watch and be like, oh, it's 730. So it's 530 a.m. right now in Wyoming. Jess is probably just uh, finishing up her workout. (laughs) And you've already been up at that point for 90 minutes. <laughs> yep. I usually am doing pretty good by then. You can test it. You can text me. I'll text you back. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually found that is it's almost impossible to get a hold of Jess at any point of the day because you're so busy, which we will get into um, <laughs> yeah. of why that is. But it's very, very difficult to get a hold of Jess at any point in the day. But I know if I text her at like 6.30 a.m. her time or 6 a.m. her time, she will reply because at that point, <laughs> You have the you have the endorphin high from your workout. And you've already been up for two hours. So Life that's that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of crazy. But we will get into how this is relevant to everything, because I think um, one expression I've heard you say is that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it's not okay. it's not a coincidence that you are the type of person like the type of achiever that wakes up at 4 a.m., every morning and lifts every day. Again, this is not like a twice a week program. You're on. It's every day no. at 4am and you're doing hardcore workouts where you're in the gym, you yeah. know, for an hour. It's not like you're going in there and doing a 20 minute hit workout or something. It's you right. know, full yeah, blown. Yeah, nothing against hit, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's full blown, like full body weightlifting, compound movements, dead squat bench, all that good stuff. And it's 4am. And that translates, I think, into how you think about um, you know, not just your business, but your life, because when, when I look at what you've accomplished in your real estate career and anyone listening to this might have to sit down because it probably sounds like I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to start just making shit up here, but this is totally, this is totally accurate. It sounds too good to be true, but here's, here's Jess's actual production numbers in her real estate business. So she did over 200 transactions last year. She made over 1.5 million in GCI. So I'll repeat that. She does not have a big team. So when I say that she did over 200 transactions last year, it's actually closer to 250 transactions. I'm not quoting, oh, Jess and her team of 12 agents. I'm saying Jess did almost 250 transactions last year. And Jess made pretty close to 1.5 million in GCI in one year. And so that sounds impossible. It sounds too good to be true. It's almost begging for an explanation of, yeah, but you know, like what's the asterisk? Like how does she, does she secretly, you know, have a, have a team she's not telling us about, or does she have some lead pipeline where people are just sending her deals every day from maybe some attorney relationship or a financial or you know what's the what's the you know what's the thing you're not telling me about how she does that and it's just hard work and so one of the things we'll we'll say right away is that probably every day again this is like an average day for you not an exceptional day but the typical day you are probably working 12 to 14 hours is that accurate Yeah, that's very accurate. Because you're you're probably actually like starting your your uh, work day at seven a.m. or earlier, and you're very often working seven to eight p.m. You know, oh, at yeah. night or even later. Yeah, and so it's it's almost a short work day for you if you're working twelve hours a day. Pretty much, yeah. I'm and usually at the office by seven. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and, and obviously before that, before you even get to the office, I imagine that, you know, whether it's in between sets or, you know, when you're waking up, shower and getting ready for the day, you're checking your phone, your emails, and that counts as work too. So, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the average day you're, you know, probably working 12, 13, 14 hours. So in a very real sense, part of how you've accomplished this ridiculous level of production is that you're almost working twice the amount of hours in a normal day as the average person does. If the average person works, let's say, an eight or nine hour day, but they're taking an hour for lunch or, you know, they take an hour or two here and there to run random, you know, uh, personal errands or dropping their kids off at school or, you know, random things like that, like they're probably actually working somewhere like six to seven hours a day. And you are doing about double that every day. So I'm not saying everyone should do this, right? I'm not saying this is the way this is the way that everyone should work and if you're not doing it this way, then you're wrong, right? But that's that's one of the explanations of like how does she like how is this possible, right? Is that you're simply just working more hours in a day than what most people think is reasonable or uh or possible. But that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to record this episode with you, Jess, and have this have this conversation on the platform marketing show is that seeing your story and what you've been able to accomplish, I think will reframe what people think is normal and what people think is possible. Cause all of a sudden, if you know that there's an agent who's in the platform, who's literally doing over 200 transactions a year by herself, like you don't have a team, right? It's like Jess did over 200 transactions. All of a sudden that, that, that reframes what's possible of like, oh, can I hit 50 transactions this year or 60 transactions this year? Or when people are, you know, feeling busy, like they need to hire an assistant because they hit 20 or 25 transactions. Yes. It's like, well, that's what Jess does in a month. <laughs> like, <laughs> she will close in a month what a lot of people think is a good year, you know, doing 20, 25 yeah. transactions a year. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how some people think they're getting so busy that they need to hire assistants or TCs or buyer's agents. And again, you're doing the volume they'll do in a year in a month. And you're in, you're in Gillette, Wyoming. So let's just give some context here. Gillette, Wyoming has, you know, 30 to maybe 40,000 people in the broader area. If you count some of the small towns around it. So Gillette is a small town, right? It's not a big city like Atlanta or Dallas or something. It's a small town in Wyoming and there's really nothing near it. I mean, you can drive in uh, literally a couple hours in either direction and there's still no big cities, you know? Uh, I mean, what what is the closest city to Gillette that would even have half a million people? Is it Denver? It is. And that's three hours, three plus hours away. Oh, it's way more than three hours away, right? I mean, Denver's got to be. Dem well, yeah. Okay, you're right. It's like four and a half. Cheyenne's three hours away. Yeah, I was going to say like Denver yeah. is probably closer to five hours away, but I guess people yeah. in Wyoming drive like 90 miles an hour. So I'm probably we getting do. my math. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, yeah I'm a, probably getting my math mixed up, but like Denver is the nearest city, right? And it's like basically five hours away. So you are in a small town um, in in Wyoming. So when you're, when, when we say that you're doing, you know, 200 plus transactions a year, it's not like you're in this big city where there's so many transactions, you know, 
to go around that it must be so easy to do that much, right? You're in, oh, yeah. you're in very much what we would define as a small town. Very much. Yeah. It is tiny. So 30,000 people, but it's spread out. Um, it's very rural. The average purchase price is like 225 to 250. So oh, yeah. And that, that really puts things into perspective. So when we say that you hauled in, over a million dollars last year in your personal GCI. It's not It's not because you're lucky enough to live in one of those areas of the country where the average home is 800,000 or the average home is, you know, 1.2 million or something like that. Like most of your homes are just typical middle-class American, you know, $250,000 homes where, and I was, uh, I was in Gillette last summer. We, uh, we hung out for a couple days and I got to see your office and meet some, you know, uh, people that you work with. I met, you know, with uh, Laura, the uh, the lender you do a lot of business with. And we kind of toured, toured some of Gillette and we uh, created some content, filmed some videos together. And um, I, I saw Gillette and it's like, yeah, this is absolutely a small town. I mean, there's just no way around it. Gillette is a small town. And yet you and yet you did you did over 200 transactions there. So what's. What's like the secret advantage you have? Was your, you know, was your mom or dad in real estate or did you inherit a book of business from some friend or like how, how would you answer the question? Yeah, but what's your secret? Like, what are you not telling us? That's a good question. I think my secret advantage would have been having all the disadvantages at the beginning of my life that made me have that drive to want to fully commit to be the best I can be at everything I do. So um, my parents were in real estate. I grew up pretty, pretty average household. Um, we were never given anything to, you know, like just go start, like here's college, nothing like that. Um, I actually left my parents' house when I was 16 because I was pregnant and my parents did not approve. Um, so it, it was tough figuring life out. And then I just had to always figure things out on my own and it gave me a drive to produce a good life for my son. And now he's in college and things have worked out good, but it set the habits, yeah. the habits yep. to work smarter and not harder and to just be all in on anything I do. And so I would imagine a lot of this throughout the years has been like, I want to be able to provide a good future for my son that you had pretty young. 100%. That's my like why in life. And so you, uh, you uh, said you were, you were how old when you had your son? 16. Yeah. So by the time, you know, you were really 30, like you had a, a teenager mm -hmm. on your hands. And I imagine that gave you huge amounts of motivation um, to like, okay, I need to really make some serious money because I don't want to be that stereotypical story of someone who has a kid really young and it's just, woe is me. And then the rest of my life is you know, um, a failure or something. Exactly. Right? I think yeah. it's, I think it's, it's probably fair to say at this point, it's been quite the opposite for you where you're now hauling <laughs> Definitely in. Definitely not over, a statistic. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've, you've risen above all that, you know, you're hauling in over a million dollars a year. Um, but you didn't immediately start crushing it in real estate. So let's dive into some of the, some of the specifics of your story. Cause I think we've framed pretty well where things are at now. I mean, you're absolutely dominating your clearly the top agent in the Gillette area. I mean, you're probably the top agent in the state of Wyoming, you know, if you're doing that many transactions a year. And so, but it wasn't always that way. It's not like your first year that you got licensed, you did a hundred deals. So 
um, you you actually owned a clothing boutique, right? Like a local brick and mortar store before you got into real estate. How long did you own that? Um, was it successful? How did how did that lead you into a career as a realtor? Because I just want to frame this that this is not one of those situations where the reason you're doing so well now is like, oh, I got licensed as an agent when I was 16, so I had so much experience that you know eventually. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, I started that clothing store when I was 21, um, and I had it for 10 years, so till I was 31. Um, I when I started it, the internet wasn't quite what it is now. So like people actually went to brick and mortar stores to shop. Um, and then when I phased that out, I had just gotten my license because I realized I couldn't do both. Um, so I closed it down because the internet just dominated. There was no sure. competing with it. People would come in and be like, oh, I love how these pants fit, but I just ordered them online. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> so anyways, I phased that out because I had just gotten into real estate. Um, Reason being, uh, selling pants and designer clothing was great and all, but there was a cap to it. There's a limit to how much you can make, right? And especially in a small town. So now you that out. you uh, you uh, own that business for ten years. Did it yeah. did it actually make money, or was it just paying its bills, or? It, it, it did really good. We live in like a little town where it's surrounded by oil and coal industry. So I was very lucky that I opened it right when everything was booming here. And um, so it kind of gave me a little kickstart. And let me clarify, it was booming here, but I wasn't like living the high life. I was living off of about $40,000 a year. And I thought it was great because I just lived very simply. Sure. Um, I was able to work for myself. Um, I did work every day all the time and the sole provider for my son. So, but it made a good little life for us. Um, and then I got into real estate because I wanted to make more. I mean, 40,000 is great, but I wasn't going to be able to send him to college on that or anything. Um, and I realized real estate was really hard, but I had some great connections because of that store. And I just kept cultivating the relationships. Um, I'm in real estate eight years now this year. But it was a really big grind, probably till about year five. And then I started seeing all the consistent work pay off. What did, what did your first year or two look like in terms of how many deals you did like your first year or two? So my very first year, I did about 15 million in production. So it's not that great. But um, for a first year person, it's pretty good. Um, I would, I would say that's very good if you did 15 million in your very first, very first year. So what I'm, what I'm hearing in this conversation, like what I'm picking up on is that you have invested in a major way in cultivating your sphere because there is no way that an agent in their first year does $15 million dollars in volume unless they have a very robust sphere of people who know them, like them, trust them. Because, I mean, there's just no way that you were able to uh, generate that many leads, right? Or, you know, and even even in a booming market, like, 50, I mean, there's, there's agents that work with Platform that have been licensed as an agent for a decade and they've never hit 15 million, right, in sales volume. Because that's, that's, not, that's not anything to... Uh, um, to look over, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big amount of production. So if you were able to do that, even in your first year or two, what that tells me is that you had a very strong, um, sphere. And I would also imagine you learned a thing or two about marketing 
yes. after owning owning the boutique for yes. a decade. Would you say that that's accurate? Yes, very accurate. So uh, the only thing I knew how to do was sell, whether it was pants or houses, you know? Um, so I kind of applied the same concept. I'm not a super salesy person. I just am friendly and try to relate or see where my clients are coming from, regardless of who they are. Um, so I took those same concepts and the same marketing. When I started um, the store, Facebook had just cracked open. Um, and, and what I had done on there, I had developed a really good platform. And so I just tried to do the same thing with real estate. And it, it did well. But I realized that there was a plethora of other ways I could real estate or advertise real estate too. Um, and so I just dabbled a little bit in each and saw what they gave to me. And advertising is always changing. So um, now I think I have a good mix of where I just have a little bit in everything and it, it works pretty well. I adjust accordingly, of course, but it works so now, pretty well. So uh, now where, where things are at now, I know we were uh, chatting right before we actually started started the recording, but uh, you're you're spending about twelve to thirteen thousand dollars a month on marketing. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's probably an underestimate too. <laughs> yeah. So let's just I mean that's 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 essentially if you if you round up, it's about a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. So a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is your marketing budget. And, and as you said, it's actually probably more than that because I'm sure there's some things that are really kind of technically marketing advertising that you're forgetting. But 150 grand a year. So you are spending more on marketing yourself as an individual agent than most real estate agents make in an oh, wow. entire year. Yeah, that's when you your, put it like that, yes. That's your marketing budget, right? <laughs> yeah. And also, I want to emphasize again that you're not promoting your team. You're not advertising like the big Just Look Who Are team as if you have, you know, uh, eight or nine or ten other agents or something. This is all spent on promoting you. So you are literally spending $13,000 a month promoting Jess LaCour to the Gillette, Wyoming area. So once you kind of like grasp that um, intellectually, you understand how Jess is able to roll the snowball to where she does over, you know, now over 200 trans uh, transactions every year. She's hauling in, you know, pretty close to 1.5 million in GCI it's because she's simply investing more in marketing and creating more deal flow, therefore, than most other agents do. Because I think the, the, the easiest thing to assume from this conversation, if someone's just casually listening to this podcast episode, is that, oh, she must have some super lucky, you know, lucky streak or there must be something she's not telling us to, you know, maybe Gillette's just like, you know, there's no competition there and maybe all the agents suck or something. And, you know, that's oh, gosh, no. like, you know, like when I think of Gillette, Wyoming, you know, no one there probably uses computers. I wonder if they, <laughs> they even, I wonder if they have the internet there or something, you know, it's not nearly as tech savvy as where I am. Like if I move <laughs> there, I'm sure I could sell hundred plus homes a year too. Right. And it's like, well, if you look at the production of all the other Gillette agents, it's the same distribution as in any other city in America. Right. Where there's a lot of agents that are selling 15, 20, 25 homes a year in that range. There's a couple more who do sell 40, 50, 60 homes a year. And then that's about it. Right. Like it's just like any other, you know, city in America. So there's nothing different about Gillette 
that allows you to be so exceptionally successful, the the one thing you do differently is really what explains it. And that's you're just investing literally 10 times as much on marketing as the average agent does. Yes. And actually, it's more than 10 times because when I say 10 times the average agent, that's assuming the average agent is spending 15 grand a year on marketing because you're spending 150,000 and the average agent absolutely does not spend $15,000 a year on marketing. So you're actually probably spending more like 20, 25 times a year on marketing. Yeah. I mean, I've, if, if we're looking at truly average agents, so not like even a platform agent, right? Cause platform agents are probably in the top 10% or top 5% of all agents nationwide and what they invest in marketing. But I bet the average agent spends $5,000 a year or less on marketing because it's usually like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month on whether it's a newspaper ad or they just randomly spontaneously boost some Facebook posts here or there with really no strategy to it other than they'll just spend 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, you know, and that's, that's, that's most agents, right? And so the fact that you are spending $13,000 a month on marketing, that's what explains the crazy amount of deal flow and transactions that you have is you're very simply spending more. It's just math, right? If you spend that much on marketing, you're going to get that many more phone calls and leads and emails and everything. It's just math, right? One thing that, we, uh, one thing that we've identified a platform in the last couple of years is that if you zoom out and you look long-term at someone's business, you're typically able to observe Again, this is like a like painting in very broad strokes here, but big picture, usually what you see is about a 10 to 1 return on ad spend over the long term, assuming your ads don't like suck, right? So uh, a 10 to 1 return means that if, if, if a platform agent tells me that they're spending $1,000 a month on their Facebook ads, so that's about you know $12,000 a year, right, um, in the actual ad spend over time, they should be able to track probably like $120,000 a year in GCI to that ad spend. Like they're getting, an, you know, a 10 to 1 ROI on the actual ad spend. That's pretty consistent over the years we've uh, seen that relationship. So actually when you told me originally that, yeah, you know, I spend about, you know, 150 grand a year on my marketing and then I asked you, wow, that's incredible. What's your GCI? And you said, oh, almost, you know, almost 1.5 million. It's like, oh, cool. That's just another example of that 10 to 1 rule working. Yeah, it's just math. It's like you're just spending more than they are, and that explains it. You're not necessarily smarter or have more education than them or have more – you haven't taken more certifications or classes or anything like that. It's very simply you have the courage to invest more, and therefore you're getting more out of it. I mean it's really uh, – it's really that simple. So – as we as we look at that that spend that thirteen thousand dollars a month that you're investing into marketing, what are some of the specifics of that? Like, where is that money going? Is it direct mail? Is it newspaper ads, billboards, social media? Like, what's a what's kind of a quick breakdown of some of the different things that you're investing that marketing budget into? The thirteen thousand dollars a month. Sure. So I have it split up all over. Um, I wish I had that little list that we had before in front of me, but most of it is to online presence. So we got Google, we have platform, we have some side Facebook ads. Um, 
I have some pretty big billboard contracts throughout the town at each point of entry. Um, I did a study with the University of Wyoming about five years ago before I contracted those certain billboards on which had the highest hit rates and I secured those. And I'm really glad I did because it took a while. It took some consistent commitment knowing that they would pay off and, and they have, and I'm really glad I have them and I won't be giving those up anytime. Um, I'm very committed to my marketing. Um, it doesn't really show right away. So if I could say anything for agents that are starting, um, you need to have faith in it and you need to commit to maybe even a few years of solid marketing before you see big results. Um, so that money going out, it's doing its work, but people have to see you. I heard an average of seven to 13 times before they know, like, and trust you. So me being on those billboards or just having that friendly reminder on their phone, when they see a platform ad, whatever, you know, it takes those multiple times before it clicks in those people's heads. And then that's when I get recognized around town and they're like, Oh, Hey, I see you everywhere. So it's, it's probably about a 10 to 13 different sources that I'm advertising on consistently over the last eight years. It's not just maybe a little bit here. And then I stopped that. And then it was a year of this. No, it's like consistent. I don't do much print, but everything else online and visually in our town, I'm there. Yeah. And most of that budget, if I remember correctly, of the 13, like the majority of it was billboards. Yes. Yeah, because they're you know, they're expensive. They're the yeah. traditional ones. I do digital ones too, but those traditional ones, yeah, they're expensive. Yeah, and so again, like that's that's the actual majority of the thirteen thousand. But I still think, if if I remember correctly, probably four or five thousand a month of that is being spent online, both with uh, you know platform, social media ads. You have some Google spend. So really, like, it's impossible for someone in the Gillette area not to know that Jess LaCour is a real estate agent. Right. <laughs> you know? I right. mean, even even when I drove in, before you even told me, hey, I have a bunch of billboards around here, like, I saw your billboards driving into town. Good. That's, and they're so, doing their job then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, um, when I when I mentioned to uh, when I mentioned to another platform agent, that, oh, yeah, uh, we have uh, uh, a Jess LaCour. She's our platform agent up in the Gillette area. They're like, oh, I know Jess. I think I've seen her billboards. That's exactly what they told me. Perfect. So, <laughs> obviously, that's that's what you get when you invest that much over time. And I think it's really important what you said, too, that like, hey, I didn't try this. Like, I didn't half-ass this for six months, and then I didn't get an immediate return, so then I tried something else. Like, this is the result of sticking with the same marketing strategies for years, not not weeks or months or even quarters, but years. And then you create that kind of reputational snowball where now people just know who you are. And it, it kind of creates a one plus one equals three effect because if you just had a killer social media game, let's say, you would still have a really successful business, right? Like you would still probably be honestly selling a hundred plus homes a year. I bet just from all of the, you know, Facebook ads that, that you do in the videos and all this stuff. Right. But it's, it's combining all of the billboards and Google pay-per-click and then all the, you know, platform type ads and all the retargeting that you're doing on, uh, on social media, the, the cumulative effect of all that 
kind of creates a one plus one equals three effect because if people have been seeing a bunch of your social media ads, let's say, and then they see a billboard, they're like, oh, that's right. I've seen her before. She's I, I constantly see her online, right? But it also ha- – and it, so it, it actually makes the billboards more effective. But then it also works – it works in reverse because maybe someone has seen a bunch of your billboards – and then for the first time they, you know, they find you on Facebook or they find you on Instagram or, you know, they see you somewhere online because of a Google PPC ad, right? If they've been seeing your billboards, then they're like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I think I know her. I've seen that agent on billboards around here. So in that instance, the billboards actually make the social media ads more effective because they felt like they knew you before. And so when you run all of these things simultaneously over time, that's what creates that reputational snowball where, I mean, just no other agent can compete with that if they're just, you know, haphazardly uh, boosting a Facebook post every now and then for 50 bucks or, you know, they run a newspaper ad one time and they spend $500 on it and it runs for one day, right? Or they spend a little bit on radio here and there. It's the, it's the consistency over time of multiple channels that, that, that creates this. So as you invest all this money, every month, again, $13,000 a month. Where do most of your leads come from? Is it people emailing you? Is it people just calling you where you get a ton of phone calls every day? Is it people inquiring on your website? Like where do the actual leads come from? Because I know that at this point in your business, you can't really be like, oh, I got this many leads from this, this one, you know, like this many leads from that. When your business is that big, the honest answer is I have no idea where it's all coming from because they probably they probably all saw my billboards. They saw my Google ads. They saw my platform ads on Facebook and all that. So like it all kind of works together. So it's really hard to attribute which lead is coming from where. But in in the in the sense of how do they contact you? Do 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 most of your leads just come from people just calling you directly or texting you or emailing you or where do most of the leads come from in terms of how they first contact you? Uh, so I do try to track all of that as much as I can because I'm super analytical. Um, but you're right. It gets to a point where it's really blurred and you don't really know. But I would say it's direct calls, texts or messages from social media platforms is probably 90% of it. And then about year four to five, I got started getting referrals. So I would say another 10% is referrals. Yeah. And that's, that's actually really fascinating to me because I think when people hear that you're doing, you know, I mean, again, it just sounds so absurd, even saying it out loud, 200 plus transactions a year, they just assume that, wow, you must have this just mother of all lead gen funnels and you're driving people to some form online and they're filling out your lead gen form and then you're getting you know lead notifications of this person gave you their contact information and then you follow up with them right and they they uh, submitted some web form where you're you know grabbing their name email phone number all that and it's like no that's not how this is happening it's you're just marketing so much and they're seeing you so much on social media, you know, the billboards you've done, Google, all of the retargeting the platform is doing kind of as like an umbrella strategy over all this that people see you so much that when they're ready to go, they just call you, right? Or they text you or they message you. Like there's not some super duper secret stealthy 
lead generation form that you're driving people to. It's just like when they're ready to go, it's like, I'm going to call Jess. I'm not going to interview other agents. I'm just going to call you. Yeah. That's seriously what happens. Very rarely do I have like a listing appointment where they're, they're saying that they're talking to other agents. It's usually all mine just because the familiarity and the trust is already there. Yeah. And very, very naturally in a listing appointment, I mean, you, you probably don't even have to say it out loud. I, I imagine that you're, it's, it's basically implied that's like, hey, if I'm this good at marketing myself, I'm yeah. going to do a really good job marketing, you know, marketing your listing. Exactly. It is. I don't ever have to say it. They know. How did your experience owning the boutique shape the way that you think about your business? Because I, I have to assume here that, being you owned a brick and mortar small business, you know, you had this, you had this uh, a clothing boutique, right? That you just accepted that, hey, when when you run a business as a local small business owner, there are expenses associated yes. with that, right? Like there's rent or there's, uh, you know, the mortgage on the building. If you bought the if you bought the space, there's utilities every month. There's inventory that you have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars sitting there at any given time, just in inventory. There is marketing costs. Cause I would, uh, I would assume that you were spending money marketing the boutique. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there's, there's all sorts of expenses that get paid out every month, like fixed expenses every month, regardless of whether or not you're making sales. Right. Yeah. And so how did that shape how you think about your, your real estate business? That's a super good question. Cause I think it's the big core part of the success I have today and how I viewed real estate completely different from other agents getting into it. Um, the marketing number one, I viewed it as an employee basically. So it was like a non-negotiable expense. And basically if I'm paying 10 grand a month to have all these different advertisements, I can look at it as like just having an employee out there doing all this work for me, bringing in people. Um, so that's how I perceived it from day one, because that's how it worked for me with the boutique. Why wouldn't it be the same for real estate? Um, and then another thing was inventory. You always want to keep a good stock of inventory, right? Um, so when I first got into real estate, I was super aggressive going after all these listings so that I could have a lot of signs around town. And then when things like last year happen, that is fantastic. It doubles down, you know? So I've always kept a very strong amount of listings. Um, and so, probably those two are the biggest things I think that shaped it. And then just knowing like you got to stick out the hard times. Some months may not be great. You just have to keep on and be consistent with everything. Follow up all of it. I, I love what you said there about thinking of your marketing as an employee because so many agents um, you know, just because this is taught at many seminars and lots of, you know, uh, brokerages teach this about, Hey, as soon as you get like, as soon as you start to get busy enough where you, you know, you feel like you don't have time, you need to immediately go hire, uh, you know, full-time assistant or a TC or a buyer's agent, start growing your team, you know? And it's just like, agents have this mentality that when they're doing 20 deals a year, that they're somehow busy enough to justify bringing on an assistant or a buyer. And again, like you, you laugh at that. Cause you're like, I do 20 deals a month. And I, I, you, it's like, how do you do 20 deals a year? And you feel you're too busy to do it by yourself. Right. But you have this mentality of 
hey, ra- like rather than going out and hiring someone and paying someone, let's say, a $50,000 a year salary to help you with your business, whether that's, you know, a full-time TC or a licensed buyer's agent or a licensed assistant or, you know, anything like that. It's like, well, the first $50,000 I have is going to be spent on marketing. Yep. And then because, I'll do the rest myself. Yeah. Cause that's the employee that I need is someone out telling the community about me, but rather than literally hiring a person, I'll spend $50,000 a year on, um, marketing because that'll bring in more business. And then only when I just literally do not have any more minutes in the day, would you think about hiring someone? Because most people I think greatly underestimate how much business they can do by themselves if they just had more deal flow coming in. Oh my gosh. Yes. So there was a saying that was said to me early on in my lifting years that you, you will want to quit when physically you are only at your 40% max. So I take that mentality into business. And when you say most people say they're so busy, they need an assistant. Mentally, yeah, it's rough. It's hard. But I tell myself that I can do it. My mind is just playing tricks on me, you know, saying that I need to quit or it's too hard at that 40%. You still have way more to give. And it's true. It's so true. Now, early, you know, early on, you were still investing a lot into, into marketing. You weren't, you know, you weren't maybe spending 12,000 or $13,000 a month early on oh, gosh, in no. your, in your, in your marketing. But I remember the last time we talked, um, one thing that emerged that, that, uh, stuck with me from our previous conversations were that when you were getting started, both at the boutique that you owned for, you know, for like a decade and eventually in your real estate career, you lived in your in your uh, personal life you lived very very humbly so that you could afford to pour like everything you were making back into marketing and so when uh when uh, people say oh yeah well i mean i i could probably make a ton of money too if i was spending ten thousand dollars a month on marketing or thirteen thousand or frankly even four or five thousand a month on marketing right it's like well everyone could the problem is that most people don't because as soon as they hit, you know, I don't know, a hundred, hundred fifty thousand in GCI, which is a pretty good living, right? Like if you're making a hundred, hundred thousand dollars a year plus, like you're absolutely making an above average income in the United States, right? Like you're doing well. You have money to vacation, go out to eat, drive a nicer, newer car, all those good things that we associate with kind of like the upper upper middle class in America. Let's just let's just pick a specific number to make this really concrete. Let's say that you're making $115,000 a year in GCI as a realtor, right? Well, what what happens is an agent eventually gets to that point and they get addicted to the lifestyle that making 115,000 allows them to live and that, you know, that amounts to uh just just shy of about $10,000 a month, right? So after taxes, that person's probably bringing in, let's say $7,000 a month, right? And they get addicted to living off of $7,000 a month after taxes. And so to be clear, the, the point I'm making is to be clear, they could afford to spend, even at that level, three to $4,000 a month on marketing, 
and still have plenty of money to pay for their basic living expenses like mortgage or rent or groceries and their car and all of those things. It's that they choose not to. Rather than spending $4,000 a month on marketing, they're spending $7,000 a month on themselves and their family because they got addicted to kind of the standard of living that that luxury lifestyle kind of provides once you hit that point. And then their business often never grows beyond that because they're not pouring any fuel on the fire where what you did is even as you hit those levels of production that like allowed you to probably start living a more luxurious uh, lifestyle than you did when you owned the boutique and you were making, you know, $40,000 a year there, right? As soon as you started hitting those higher levels of income, you didn't think, oh, this is great. I'm a top producing realtor now, so I'm going to I'm gonna spend all this money and enjoy my life for the first time in all these years, you know, because I'm finally making 100 grand or I'm finally making 150 or 200. Like, no, you basically plowed all of that back into marketing. So even when you were making 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, you weren't living off of 200,000 or 150,000 because you you plowed almost all of that back into marketing and you kept living on that kind of forty fifty thousand dollar a year um standard of living and it, you basically invested everything on top of that back into marketing so what did that look like the first the first couple years of what you lived on versus what you reinvested back into marketing and how do you think that Jess how do you think that built the foundation for where you're at today which is obviously you know, doing 200 plus deals a year in a small town. Right. So I, it was a lot of sacrifice. It was not fun. Um, especially when it would have been so easy to be like, Hey, I, I deserve a new car. I'm in it every day. We deserve to eat out. Cause I'm working really hard 12 hours a day, all of that stuff. Um, my friends are buying bigger houses. It took a lot of sacrifice, but I was committed to that big, end game picture. And there's not really an end game. Um, it's just knowing that there's more out there. And I just had to believe in what I knew would work with the marketing um, and being consistent and not just doing the easy route of being like, uh, I'll just do a little bit less marketing. And, you know, I had to stay committed to my original plan. Yeah. And you just had, I mean, frankly, there's, there's just no other way of saying it. You had the courage like yeah. there's no way of getting around the word courage. You had the courage to invest almost every dollar you were making right back into marketing, um, even though you could have started living this great, luxurious lifestyle. I mean, I'll be honest, when I when I uh, swung by Gillette last summer and we uh, met up that one day, um, we filmed a little bit, I remember, even at your house. And I was like, oh, wow, I kind of expected Jess to have a bigger house than this because <laughs> like, I, I knew how much you were making in GCI. So that even proves the point that it's like you 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 made enough last year to pay off that house you lived in multiple times over. Yes. Like you I've, you you could have basically paid off that house. I imagine what four or five months of your earning you, you could just oh, yeah. pay it, you know, pay off yeah. entirely. But that's just how you've lived your life, and it's what has set you up to be able to invest so much money in marketing is you've always lived way below your means in terms of what you spend um, in your personal life as compared to what gets spent uh, or I should say invested in your business. So, I mean, to be yeah. clear, you know, 
Jess drives a badass brand new Jeep. You know, it's not like she's living in poverty or something with like a 20 year old <laughs> car, but like with the amount of money that you're bringing in, I mean, you obviously, you also just uh, built a brand new office, like brand new for yourself, you know? So like, clearly you're, you're investing the money in smart, savvy ways. I know that you and Blaine have bought some investment properties as well. Um, and so you're making very smart plays with your money, but most, uh, you know, most agents get to that point where they just taste a little bit of success, right? They, they make 150 or 200 and then they just enjoy that. Cause they're like, wow, finally we have money to whatever, take vacations or, eat at more fancy restaurants or I'm going to go buy a Lexus when my whole life I've driven a used Toyota or something. Right. Um, and then whoosh, there goes all the money they could have spent on marketing. And that's the reason that there's so many agents making 200 grand a year and not very many making 400 or 500 or more. If they, if they only knew if they just toughed it out for a little bit, made some sacrifices and stayed committed with that larger amount, what, whether it's five grand, it doesn't have to be 10 or 13. Um, it would really show a difference if you gave it a few years and you'd be surprised that yeah. 200 would, would be nothing to you. And I, uh, I just, again, think back to your experience as a boutique owner, because I've, I've, I've worked with many, many small business owners, um, in, in my marketing career, it's not, not just real estate agents I've worked with. I've worked with many, many different types of local brick and mortar, small businesses. In fact, one of my, one of my very first clients who's become actually a really, really good friend, um, is Allison Werder and she owns a, a small, uh, a clothing boutique in a small town, um, in Minnesota. And she's actually kind of a marketing wizard herself now where she has all sorts of businesses that hire her to help them with uh, their marketing. Cause she's grown this boutique to be, I think they'll make 150, possibly even 200,000 this year. Wow. Um, at her boutique. And she's in a small town in Minnesota that actually has like 2000 people. Oh my. Um, so she's absolutely crushing she's online. it. Well, uh, no, that's all in person. Physical yep. boutique. Wow. Yep. And so she's absolutely, her. yeah, she's absolutely crushing it, but we've had all sorts of interesting conversations over the years about marketing because I helped her kind of launch her, I guess, marketing campaigns. I mean, it was probably now seven or eight years ago that kind of helped, helped her get to where she is today. I kind of gave her some of the initial ideas. And as, as we've had these conversations over the years, um, one thing that's always came up is that, you know what, like part of the reason, and I'm uh, speaking, speaking for Allison right now, but she would say part of the reason I'm successful when so many other local small business owners don't make any money at all, you know, like they, they may have been in business for years, but they're not actually showing really any profit is that just, I just invest more in marketing. It's really that simple. It's like they, they spend, I don't know, 200 or $500 a month. And they think that that's a sufficient marketing budget. And she's like, I'm typically more like spending two to $3,000 a month marketing my clothing boutique. And I'm in a small town of 2000 people. Right. So it's I, like, I'm spending more on marketing just on like social media ads than most other small business are in their entire fixed expenses. When you're calculating utilities, rent, I mean, everything. Right. And having that mentality of like, there is an amount of money I have to invest every month. If I'm going to make this work completely, shapes how you go about running your business because this is a this is a reality that 
is just true for a local brick and mortar small business owner. They're like, there's no way around it. If you want to make money running a brick and mortar retail store like your uh, your boutique, Jess, like you have to spend money every month. Like, you know, and again, whether that's inventory, sales, marketing, obviously rent, paying employees, potentially um, all the various things that you have to spend money on to run a retail store, right? There's, there's a lot of expenses every month. You probably have, I would guess like two to three to possibly $4,000 of a month of expenses every month, regardless of whether you not, uh, uh, of, uh, whether you make a single sale or not. Cause like all the, all the actual inventory, the cost of goods is on top of that. Right. So even, even if you don't make a single sale, there's still at a minimum 3000 to probably $4,000 a month that you have to clear just as fixed expenses. And so that absolutely shapes how you think about business. I think for the rest of your career, because when, when you went into real estate, you didn't have the mentality of like, Oh, this is great. Now I don't have to spend anything. Cause now I just make money. And I don't have all these fixed monthly expenses. It's like, well, that's true. I guess technically you don't have to have high monthly fixed expenses, right? But that's why most agents never really hit elite levels of income and production is because they think it should be a 100% margin business where I, I don't have any expenses, Right. It's like, well, no, I got news no for you. That's good a, businesses ran like that. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, that, that's a job. That's not a business. Right? Yes, Pretty yes. much the one thing, if you think about it philosophically, that distinguishes an entrepreneur from an employee is the entrepreneur absorbs fixed expenses every month. The employee does not have any expenses associated with their job. They just get paid, right? They have money coming in, but it's not like there's any money going out every month. Like really the thing that distinguishes the entrepreneur from just the W2 wage employee is that the entrepreneur understands that, Hey, if I want to make more, I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money every month in order to make more. I mean, even, even platform now, like our, uh, our, our expenses every month now are over 150,000 like a month. So it's like, cool. I don't make a single dollar until we clear $150,000 a month right? That's not a year, that's a month. And, and yet there's, you know, agents out there who let's say they have a goal of they really want to hit, you know, um, I don't know, uh, 400,000. Cause maybe they've been stuck at 200 to 250,000 GCI for a while. And they really want to hit 400,000 for, for whatever reason. It's like, cool. How much are you spending on marketing? And then they'll typically say, well, you know, my ads budget every month is, you know, a thousand dollars, right? And it's like, cool. So what universe do you live in that you think you should be able to haul in 40 grand a month, but only spend a thousand dollars on ad spend? <laughs> like, you know, like those, 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 those ratios just aren't realistic. Right. And I, I say that optimistically. So I probably sound like I'm being sarcastic or cynical, but this is actually good news because it means there's not any, uh, there's not any secrets or magic recipe or information that Jess knows that you don't know. It's, it's literally just that an agent like Jess is willing, has the courage to spend more on marketing. And so if, if she knows that over time she's going to get like approximately a 10 to one ROI out of the marketing, she, she knows that if she wants to make 
$40,000 a month, she probably needs to be investing $4,000 a month into marketing, right? And if Jess wants to be making $100,000 a month, she probably needs to be investing over time consistently $10,000 a month if you keep that 10 to 1 ratio, right? And so like whatever your goal is, one very practical takeaway from this conversation is just like, again, this is not going to happen within a month or 90 days or even six months. But over time, if you look at your business in terms of like a one to two year kind of macro big picture period, over time, you should be able to observe around a 10 to one ROI on the actual advertising spend. So one one practical takeaway is whatever you want to be making a year, like maybe that goal is 200,000 or if that goal is 500,000, whatever your goal is as an agent, just divide that by 10 and that's what you need to be investing in marketing. And if you're not willing to do that, you're probably never going to hit that level of production. Like, I mean, I think you would probably agree that like, you would probably still be a moderately successful agent if you didn't spend any money on marketing because you just have a you have a very strong-willed personality. You're great at sales. You're great at talking with people and building rapport and all of those things, right? You're you're a good salesperson. I I bet you'd probably make a hundred, two hundred thousand a year as an agent if you never spent a dollar on marketing. Probably but that would probably be the upper limit. Yeah, but then I'd hit a floor, you know, or a ceiling where yep. that's that's it. And then so, I mean, probably fall trapped to, like you said, be accustomed to the lifestyle and then what? And, and you basically just stick there. I mean, there, yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. so, so many agents, like I said, who hit that point where they're making 150 or 175 or whatever, and then they just stay there for like 10 years. And I've always thought that's interesting because just with basic referrals, it's like, how are you not growing your business at least a little bit every year just from referrals? Because it should be compounding every year. Like you're, something is actually wrong in your real estate business if you're not growing at least 10% a year just yep. from referrals. That should be, yeah, natural. Because that means that you're not staying in touch with your sphere enough, you know, like not even to get into, you know, cold marketing and reaching the general public and all that. But if your business isn't growing 10% a year just from your past client referrals, yeah, something's wrong. So, Agreed. yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a math problem to solve and it's pretty easy math. We're dividing by 10. This is like second grade math here, right? Like that's cool. That's, that gives it the reliability. I think people do not perceive when they they see marketing and they're like, what am I going to get out of this? You know, like I want to see a direct return right away to be, I think it's cool to have those numbers and they're very reliable from what you've said. It hits dead on with my numbers over the years. Yep. To be very specific though, uh, what prevents people from doing that? If I could just get as granular and like tactical, practical as possible here is that even hearing this, you know, 10 to one rule, right? Most people do not have the courage to wait it out 18 months to see it work. Yes, I would completely that's, agree with that. That's what prevents people from getting the results that Jess LaCour gets is that they think that, oh, if I try something for 90 days, that's reasonable. And if I try marketing for six months, that's like super ambitious. And holy cow, if I try it for seven or eight months, I am really, really ambitious. It's like, well, it'll you'll, you'll probably start seeing pretty good results, I would say, in six to nine months where at least it's paying for itself. You're breaking even, you know, but 
the real results, and I've seen this pattern over and over and over again with platform clients, the real results typically kick in in the 12 to 18 month mark. Yep. Like I would completely agree with that. Usually, usually people have a positive ROI if they start the platform strategy, uh, you know, in month six to 12, like they're not losing money, right. Where they're, they're not spending more money on marketing than they have coming in. Like it's, it's at least breaking even typically at that point. But, um, and you know, very often they're, they have, they have a healthy ROI at that point, but the real big time ROI that kicks in almost always happens in that like 12 to 18 month mark. And that's the entire explanation right there is that most people never last that long. They don't stick it out long enough to actually see the results. Yeah. How sad to do it for six to eight months and then stop right before it gets good and then keep going while it's good. You know, you have to have to keep that there. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would be like, you know, in, uh, in like the powerlifting world, right. That you're very immersed in with you and Blaine. Like if you started this, you know, hardcore workout program, and you are taking all the, you know, supplements you need to be and, you know, the uh, creatine and everything and you're getting your 200 or 300 grams of protein a day and you're spending two hours in the gym a day and then you do it for a week and you're like, oh, I didn't hit my goals. This didn't work. Yeah, that's laughable. <laughs> like how stupid does that sound that like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't hit my goals of having a six pack or I can't bench 300 or I can't, you know, squat whatever your goal is, you know, like after a week of doing it, it's like, well, that's not an accurate reflection of the, uh, of the accuracy of the program, right. Judging it off of one week. Right. Like it's your lack of commitment. Yeah. It's, it's that you weren't willing to do it for six months, mm -hmm. right. Cause even, even doing a workout program for a month is not really going to change anything. No, right? <laughs> You only really see results. Once you start doing something like three plus months, then you might be able to look in the mirror or look at your past workout journals and see progress of your, you know, lifts going up and all that. If you look in like 90 day increments, but even then exactly. it's like long-term is much longer, is much longer than that. I mean, you've, you've been investing in marketing now for, uh, you know, what, seven, eight years, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you've, you've seen the results like this. Um, and most agents are frankly not even willing to invest in a marketing program for seven or eight months. And they demand that, why hasn't my business blown up? Right. And they could like, be me so easy. You just have to stick with it. It's courage. Yeah, it's like do. courage is a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So when we look at some of your ads, let's get into the, some of the really specific stuff. Cause I know that you have to go here soon. Um, Jess, what, uh, what are some of your favorite social media ads that we've run using using this platform strategy are there are there any any ads that maybe stick out like one or two that you you remember that got a lot of buzz around town or word of mouth where people were actually telling you that they saw you know this this particular ad I think my very favorite one was the one where you edited the sign. I think I got turned into the commission probably like four times for that one. <laughs> so not only was it a hit with just the general population, it was a hit with other agents too. <laughs> that was um, the one where it job. said, uh, it really it, it got said, people talking. I loved it, that ad. It said not, not a technically for sale that one. Right? Yes. Yes. That so was you got, a great one. You were you were turned in four different times for that. Four, four different times. From different agents. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. 
the commission finally just called me and they're like, it's the same thing again. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I didn't, I got to keep it up. We didn't do anything that was wrong. Just other agents were just all rumpled, all their feathers were rumpled over it. But it, it shows like how much it got people talking. And I would dare to say I got quite a few listings from that. Yeah. And I know that you also, you also had that one that we kind of did the, the uh, for sale by owner one. Yeah. That was a was, good one too. Yeah. People were it, just so shocked and it, it got them engaged and reading it and the way you wrote it was so good, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that one got a ton of engagement. I remember a ton of engagement. Yeah. That was and a real good one. In a, in a somewhat small community like Gillette, you know, cause again, Gillette doesn't have a hundred thousand people or a million people. It's like, you know, on a, on a good day, Gillette might have 40,000 people in the, right. you know, in the, in the area. And if, if you get a ton of people talking about you, you know, commenting on something like people around the community notice that like they see it, you know? They do. Um, yeah. It is like you said, it's a small community. So everyone's going to talk to everyone about the same thing usually. So yeah. I get, I get all the time stopped. Oh, I see your face everywhere. Um, and then, which is kind of odd. People will talk to me like we already know each other and I have to like quickly rack my brain. Who is this? How do I know them? But it's right. just because of the right. familiarity of it all. Uh, we also did that ad that I'm actually just remembering this now when we staged basically a fake PR campaign that we were going to try to we were going to try to petition to move the Olympics to Gillette, Wyoming. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Um, and that was fun. And that got, I remember a ton of video views. I mean, I mean, I think that video got like 15, 20,000 video views. Um, which again, if Gillette has 30,000 people total and a video has 20,000 video views, you have to, you have to assume that usually about half the population are children under, under age 18. So there's actually probably about 15, 16,000 adults in the Gillette area. And so if, if that video about you kind of film this video around town saying, Hey, I think Gillette would be great for the next Olympics. Let's move it from Paris to Gillette instead and host the, you know, host the next summer Olympics right here. You know, if, if that kind of like spoof PR video gets 20,000 views, it literally means every adult in the Gillette area saw that video at least once. That's so awesome. It's if true. You, if you think yeah. about it that way. And that's, yeah. That's cool because um, you were in the video the whole time, right? So yeah. like if, if anyone watched the video, they were just constantly seeing Jess. So, right. um, and, and that creates, you know, long-term brand awareness. And that's why when I asked you earlier about how are the leads coming in, that's not just a minor detail because if you're doing 200 plus transactions a year and you say, oh, honestly, the way that most of my leads contact me is they just directly call me or they text me or they message me on, you know, Facebook. Isn't that the call to action on all our ads? Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's that like, there's not necessarily a lead form that people are filling out or you're not driving them to some capture page on the internet where you ask them for all their contact information. It's just your marketing is doing such an excellent job of keeping you top of mind with everyone that when they're ready to go, the marketing has already converted them. They're just like, cool, I'm going to call Jess. I'm not, I'm not going to interview other agents. That's not even, you know, a conversation or, or a decision I have to make. I'm going to work with Jess. It's, Hey Jess, you know, I'm thinking about selling my house this year. What's the next step? Yeah, exactly. That's how it goes down too. It's, it's really awesome. And I, I love that everyone just warmly greets and 
acts like they're my friend, even though I've never met them in person before. And I think that's highly due to those ads and just seeing the constant face of Jess everywhere in Gillette. So Jess, uh, what would, what would your final parting advice be for, for an agent listening to this? And let's just say that they're making $115,000 a year in GCI, but they so desperately want to get to 200, 300, because that would just radically change their family's life where they could probably afford to pay for their kids to go to college in cash. And they could really save for retirement, right? If, if they could get from 115 to let's say 200, 250, right? If there's an agent right now that, that, that describes them, that's where they're at. And they're listening to this. What would your advice be to them? If you are scared to invest, um, fully trust the process because numbers don't lie. And you and I both discussed earlier about how the numbers are dead on. Um, commit to that amount that could change your life. If you could double your income just for committing to a year or two of a certain advertising amount, trust the process, stick it through, and it will be far better than you can ever imagine. Awesome. Well, again, uh, these these numbers sound too good to be true, but you just listened to an episode on the platform marketing show of an agent who's personally doing over 200 transactions a year. She personally made over a million dollars in GCI last year in a market where the average home is only $250,000. So yeah. these are the kinds of numbers that are possible if you think big about marketing and stop, stop limiting yourself with these, you know, false beliefs about what is a lot of money to spend on marketing because it's, it's, it's entirely mental, right? Some people think a thousand dollars a month is a lot. Other people might think two or $3,000 a month is a lot to invest in marketing. Well, yeah. you just have a very different mentality. You're like, well, I spend $13,000 a month on marketing and there's probably some months that you spend 15,000 a month yeah. on marketing because it just doesn't occur to you to think of that as being a lot of money. No. You know, because once you once you commit to that, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a lot of money, but I'm also bringing in over a hundred thousand dollars a month. So rel relative to that, yeah, it's really not a lot of money. You just no, have it. to have the courage to get to that point, um, yep. where the where the income greatly exceeds the investment, and that's the issue: is people have to muster up the courage to get there and stick with it in those first, you know, six and 12 and eventually even 18 months where maybe they're investing the money, but they're not yet seeing the return. Uh -huh. Don't quit because the return will come. You Stay just the need course. To, yeah, yeah. Keep making that investment. Stick with it. Courage is a competitive advantage. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you, Jess. Thank and we'll you. see you on the next episode of the platform marketing show. Thank you.